0: This is the Blue, White and Yellow podcast from Leeds United Live, giving you the in-depth analysis on all the big talking points from Ellen Road. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Blue, White and Yellow podcast with myself, long-term absentee Conor McGilligan, your multimedia and podcast producer, and your Leeds United writer, Baron Cross. Um, We are back here after Leeds United's 2-1 victory over Norwich City. Um, first thing to to uh, ask you about, Baron. Uh, I want to know how you feel about the, the trip to Norwich and back.
1: <laughs> it's a long way. It's 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 seriously out on a limb is Norwich. And um, yeah, I've, I've, I didn't miss that that trip when um, when Leeds and Norwich were in, the, in different divisions. So. It was absolutely biblical rain as well. If anybody remembers, I think it was nationwide, really. I think I, think, I don't think anybody really escaped the rain um, on Sunday morning, traveling traveling down. It was it was horrendous. And you sort of sat there, and um, you're obviously under a stand in the press box, but with the way the, the rain was almost coming in sideways, and so there like, was like splashing on the laptops and stuff, and you sat there at sort of half past 12 before a two o'clock kickoff thinking, if they lose this, and this is the weather, and we've got another you know, three and a half hours back in the car to Leeds, it's going to be an absolutely miserable week. But um but thankfully that the sun actually came out as people would have seen um on the TV coverage. The sun did come out and it was actually quite a nice clear day. And thankfully, three points just to really put the um put the cherry on the icing.
0: Definitely. Uh we'll get on to it in a second, the Norwich game. But uh, originally, mate, we had uh last week we had a whole host of things happened. Rafinha called up to the national side again. Uh, he was called up in a joint social media post with uh, Neymar and Matthias Kuna uh, in the same post. Another great achievement, mate.
1: And it was sort of highlighted at the weekend, wasn't it? Yeah, he's no real surprise. I mean, it's it's, it's a bit like with, with Calvin. It's sort of become less of a surprise now, hasn't it? You sort of almost just expected to happen. And he played so well in that first international break that he had with Brazil that um, it was... Yeah, there was no way that he wasn't going to get called up again. I mean, I think that the headlines over there said it all. Obviously, they're a football mad nation, and he's suddenly been taken into, into nationwide hearts. So no real surprise it's been called up, and and he's keeping company like Neymar. But, yeah, I mean, he, he's just gone from strength to strength, hasn't he? He's... Um, <laughs> you don't want to say it, but it's, it's almost like a one-man attack at the moment. Um, obviously, we can get into it in more detail in a moment, but... Um, yeah, call it for Brazil, and and no real surprise why. Do
0: you remember at the start of the season when I said he was going to be top goal scorer and top assist man, and you and JD both laughed at me?
1: <laughs> did we laugh? That's a bit rude. We did.
0: Yeah, you did. You both said Bamford. So uh,
1: did we really? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I suppose he scored seventeen, didn't he? So I, I suppose <laughs> I'm assuming our logic was um, Rafini's going to get the assists and Bamford's going to be the man around the six yard box. But <laughs> I suppose that's not accounting for, for Bamford's injury. Um yeah. It's amazing how a player's stock rises with their absence, though, isn't it? You know, when a team's doing badly, any player that's not in the team suddenly becomes a world-beater. And I think we're all thinking Bamford did come back and score 30 goals now. <laughs>
0: yeah, it does seem that way, doesn't it? He is the uh, the golden man who we need back. And, and I guess there's some logic to that. But um before the Norwich game as well, mate, there was over 8,000 uh, Leeds fans in attendance to watch Arsenal beat Leeds 4-2. Um Obviously, the youngster's out in force again. Uh, It looked like an encouraging performance by the lads, but I think the thing that I want to touch on, Baron, is just the support, the Leeds United support at Ellen Road, you know, for a kids' game against Arsenal. It's just, it's phenomenal, isn't it? It just seems to be getting better and better. (laughs) Calling Adam Forshaw a kid. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the yeah, kids'
1: let's with it. it was a strong. It was a strong team. I thought. Uh, yeah. but I, t- I take your point completely, though. The fact it was a, a midweek trip to Arsenal in a competition that nobody particularly is too fussed about. And if you remember, Arsenal actually limited the, the attendance, didn't they, for Leeds fans because of um, was it persistent standing they were moaning about in the FA Cup game. Um, yeah. mate, there was mate, a press release, we... wasn't there? And they were Aaron, saying that
0: um, I was on about the uh, the four two loss. The kids' one
1: Oh, oh <laughs> I thought you meant the, um, uh, the Caramel Cup game. Okay, that's, why, well, t- that's why I can't oh, mention that, the kids. Oh, I'll take your point completely then. Yeah, I mean, that, that shows where my focus is. I'm We're sure. leaving and this in.
0: We're leaving this in.
1: Joe would have uh, completely pulled me up on that had I completely forgotten about the 23s. Um, 8,000 8, yeah. in attendance, mate. Oh, at at Ellen Road. Road. Yeah, I'm with you yeah. completely now. Yeah, it was a Friday night, wasn't it? Yeah, was, yeah, when um, when Joey told me it was at Ellen Road, I was thinking, yeah, so Friday night leads are away that weekend, that's going to be people's football fix, isn't it? Mm. So no no real surprise at all, to be honest. I mean, absolutely staggering support. I mean, it's just crazy. I mean that that must I don't I've not looked into it with any great detail as you can tell. But um <laughs> that must be up there with a with a record attendance for a, for a Premier League two game. I mean that's mm. that's absolutely remarkable. Um I don't know what more can be said. It's yeah. it, one club city, a fanatic fan base that have followed them for decades. Um, they just want their fix, don't they? And I think lockdown has only heightened that. I mean, as as a fan, you can probably comment on that. But it feels like because there was so much football missed during that period, everybody just wants to just grasp every single bite they can of Leeds United in live action.
0: Yeah, I mean, my dad's got a ticket for the Leicester game. And uh, he's not been in, in in numerous years just because of... Work commitments and stuff like that, but he—he's like a kid at Christmas, you know. He's not been for so long now, and he's at like fifty-six years years of age, and, and he can't wait, Baron. Yeah. He's had sleepless nights, but I think it's um. I think it's just the, the the week that they had, sort of, with the Wolves game, where the last thirty minutes the, the yes. crowd were unbelievable, and then obviously the Arsenal game, where all you could hear was Leeds fans, and then mm. you know just a, a, you know a youngsters game like that against Arsenal again, and you've just got eight thousand down there. I just thought I just thought I'd bring it up, mate. I thought it was remarkable. Yes, it's
1: a good point, and and we haven't talked about it since the last podcast, so it's definitely worth raising. I think the 23s have had a, a few difficult results of late, and I think they mm. are sort of finding. I think. I suppose, I mean, Joe's obviously a better place given he watches all their games. But, I mean, from afar, it looks as if they may well be, be being affected by, by the call-ups because, of course, Marcelo and the first team are drawing upon their best players. And at best, Mark Jackson's getting some of his best players for 45 minutes at a time. Mm. Yeah, You see Charlie Cresswell was coming off regularly, Junior Firpo had half an hour in that game, didn't he? Um, Gell Hart is getting, getting halves here and there. Greenwood as well. Cody Dramey wasn't even in the squad at, at Salford on Tuesday evening in the uh, Papa John's trophy. So maybe that's the reason why they are sort of struggling a little bit. But we are talking about the best young teams in the country, aren't we? Now I mean this is this is the pinnacle of under 23's football in, in the UK. So no real surprise that they're finding that level. But that's good for them, isn't it? I mean, this is what Leeds wanted. They wanted their youngsters playing against the best young teams in the country. And through adversity, they're going to improve and going to realise that. They're not the best thing since sliced bread and there are there are things they need to improve on still. Um, so it's good for them, I think. I mean, I, I think everybody would love to see them romping under 23 league titles every season. But I think there's a lot to be said for actually the, the fight and the actual the journey and the progression and, and coming across big obstacles like this and actually overcoming them.
0: Yeah, I think someone put together as well on Twitter earlier on today the combined price of Gelhart Greenwood <laughs> and Lewis Bate. And then... Um...
1: Yeah, he's an all-right job in that department, there, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah, I mean, time will tell, won't it? I think yeah. um Lewis Bate feels like the elephant in the room. You know, he's the one that hasn't really had that look in, in the first team yet. Whereas everybody else has. I mean, what a what a ten days or so for Cody Drame. I mean, to go from getting 90 minutes at Arsenal in the the um, the Carabao Cup. And then his first man on, on um on Sunday at Norwich. Um wrote about this a little bit sort of this morning and and, and yesterday on, on Leeds Hyphen Life at Code UK. And He he must have had a look back at the bench he was leaving behind and realised where his squad status was at. I think you look at, you know, Forshaw eventually came on, Roberts eventually came on, Click never got on, Gellhart never got on, Uh, and you're talking about somebody who hadn't even played a single minute for the first team before the Tuesday of that week. So clearly taken, a bit like Cresswell, taken that first opportunity that Bielsa's given him, and whilst I accept it was a straight swap for Shackleton at Carrow Road, we know that reshuffles are commonplace, aren't they? You know, is not afraid of bringing Dallas across to the right, maybe pushing Harrison back and then getting Somerville on or Gellhart on or one of the other more experienced heads and just moving it around that way. But instead, he's just thought, no, I'm going to leave the rest of the team as is and just put a straight swap on Drame for Shackleton. And it does pose an interesting um, situation for this Sunday against Leicester because if, if Shackleton's out, I think Ailing. I think we probably all accept that, given the way Bielsa is, even if Ailing is technically pain-free and in training, it's a bit of a stretch to see him starting, isn't it? Um, I mean, you look at Phillips. Phillips didn't play against Wolves because Bielsa felt that he wasn't match fit. Yeah, you know, he'd only missed three weeks of action. Ailing's been missing since mid-September. Same with Bamford. He may make an exception because needs must, and they need to get experienced heads onto the pitch, and he, he might trust Ailing to kind of play his way back into it, but. But face value, Ailing's not going to start. If Shackleton doesn't make it, who's going to play at right wing back? Do you bring Dallas across? Because Furpo, again, he's only had half an hour. He didn't play in the Papa John's trophy. He didn't go to Norwich at all. He played half an hour in that game at the road you were talking about. Um, the next 23s game is actually against Manchester United on Saturday, which is the day before the, uh, the Leicester game. So there's an argument. Firpo's not match ready. So does drama actually start in the Premier League on Sunday?
0: Yeah, and I think with the, what you're talking about drama, they're talking about Gellhart, Somerville, Cresswell. There is definitely something to this, keeping the under-23s tight to the first team, isn't there? Because how they've been able to seamlessly transition into this starting eleven when they've been called on has been nothing short of
1: unbelievable, really. Yeah, we take it for granted, don't we? I think we just assume that because these are very, very talented young footballers that they would they would seamlessly transition into the team um, quite easily. But I think because they have been so close to the first team, I mean, it's I, I don't think even it's not even considered like a big step for a 23s player to be playing training with the first team because they just they just do it all the time. You know, that the first team and the 23s are together all the time. And I think the, the only way we could appreciate the benefit of that is if we'd had six months where they weren't together, and you know you, you throw drama or somebody in without that transition, and then we'd actually see that divide and how difficult how difficult it can be for young players. But I suppose the only thing we can go off is is the current situation and, and they have been training together. And we have to just accept that it's gone it's gone as well as it has because of that. I mean that is it's only going to help, isn't it? That just little things like the relationships, you know, the other day I watched the training video the club puts out and you could see Cooper and Gellhart walking out together. You know, you've got literally the most senior player in the club walking out with the next big thing. And they're just chatting like peers, you know, like just just equals in the team together like it's nothing I mean that's got to count for a lot that these players your drama you can go into the pit onto the pitch on Sunday and whilst for those of us watching from afar looking at and think okay he, he can't know the rest of them that well because he's a young player that's not played for the first team before he's been training with them for 18 months I mean, <laughs> he, he, he knows them very very well yeah they're all on first name terms so whilst from afar it feels quite like a distance to make that leap behind closed doors they're all pretty pally with each other and there isn't that I suppose there isn't that superiority complex that some of them might have. You know, Cooper and the the senior players aren't going to look down on the younger players. You know, if they've proven themselves in training, they'll believe they can do a job on the pitch when it matters.
0: Yeah, definitely. It feels like there's there's no egos within that squad as well. Yeah, absolutely right. Which is a huge thing that I think within the recruitment, they clearly do identify as well. Don't get me wrong; it's all about the technicalities of certain individuals and being able to fit within the system. But I think, you know, having that right ego, um,
1: Massively. it's huge, isn't it, in football? People, people definitely underrate it. Massively, yeah. I mean, that, that's one of the big the big watchwords that comes out in, in interviews with directors of football now is that it's so, there's so much more to recruitment than just basically watching them in a match. You know, you need to talk to their, their current teammates, their managers, their former managers, their families, mm-hmm. their agents. You need to get a feel for what these players are like 24-7, behind closed doors, in the dressing room, on the training pitch, what are they like socially, do they, do they knock around with the wrong people, what's their partner like, all these little things will get looked into because we're talking about serious investment here, you know, I've just been doing a and a on the website and um, somebody asked about Costa, Cassia. Um, I mentioned Augustin, you know, these are some of the players that Victor hasn't got right for various reasons in the transfer market and it's not because they're not trying. They they do their due diligence on every single player because because it's such an, a big investment. You know they can't afford to take risks on players not having the right attitude. And if those players didn't work out for other reasons, but I don't think you can doubt their character and their their work rate. You know Costa, remember how hard Costa used to work. You know, he didn't always come off for him, but I don't think you could ever accuse him of not trying. So yeah, I think mentality and personality and ego is is huge. And I think Rodrigo is a great example of that. You know you've got somebody coming in from. From valencia the most expensive footballer in the club's history a spain international his cv on paper has gives him every reason to come in and be very arrogant and to think he's better than everybody else and to act like the big i am because he's, he's a record signing there's not a shred of that whenever you interview him he's so so humble you know it, it's amazing you know he you get so much from him he's so happy to talk he's not guarded he's really polite he's very generous with his time um, you just don't get any any sort of feeling of that ego coming from people like him.
0: And the same thing's like with Rafinha as well, yeah. Baron. It's like, you know, when he's still talking out in Brazil, when he's been quoted as saying, you know, obviously paraphrasing here, but when he's essentially turning around and saying, I love being at Leeds and, and they've done so much for me, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I saw him on Instagram today filming Thor Parch and putting some dance music behind. It just seems like it all contributes, doesn't it? And it makes complete
1: sense because it all... Consolidates a happy environment. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, Rafini is a great example, isn't he? Because he's he's obviously going into the stratosphere right now. Um, it's very hard for a human being like that to kind of receive the adulation and the praise they're getting, and not and not sort of change in some way and be confident. But you look mm. at him, and he feels like there's no change at all. Really, it feels like he's just as confident as he always was. He's still team driven. Um, he's still knocking over Bealter in the dugout, and. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, he didn't leave him on the floor. to did try and help him up. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, like you say, yeah, he. There was an image of Thorparch wasn't there this morning from his car before training. So, just little things like that do help. I think it just helps with keeping up appearances, doesn't it? You know, the fans love that kind of thing. And um, I don't think they stand for egos really in that dressing room. I think been, there was there was a few sort of difficult people at, at times, and and they've now moved on from the club. Um, Liam Cooper and the leadership committee, you know, very very good, fair people. And they just won't stand for it. And I think now that Bielsa's been there a few years, Alter's had a few years to get his feet under the table after Mm -hmm. making a few, he he admits a few mistakes in that first year, but they've now got the squad in place that they want, um, the characters in that squad that they want. And we know it's a small unit, but it's a unit of of the right kind of characters and people who all get on really, really well together.
0: Uh, leading up to the Norwich game at the weekend, anyway, Baron, it's probably a good place to uh, delve into. It seemed that there were a lot of nerves on social media. I was terrified for this game because I think yeah. it on very badly. Um, you know, Norwich off the back of a seven-nil hiding. Listen, I know they weren't going to have a a world-class reaction, but I thought there was going to be a reaction nonetheless, and I think there was. A little bit in the first half from Norwich, you know Daniel Farker was talking, wasn't he, pre-Chelsea about this Leeds game being a huge game, which I know worked a lot of Norwich fans. Um, it seemed like this was the big focus for Norwich City. How how did you feel leading up to this game, mate? Were you feeling a bit of nerves on the way down?
1: Yeah, yeah, I was. I was nervous, absolutely. Yeah, I think we're all invested in the club. You want, to, we all want to see the club do well, and it makes our jobs a lot easier when the club is performing well because you know let me tell you it's it's been an absolute joy to write about this team for the last 3 and a bit years under Bielsa because it's just been nothing but positivity and sunshine and light and it's um <laughs> it's just it's just much harder when the team's not doing well because you know, you're in that position where you've got to you know, you've got to sort of shine a light on the problems because you know the club means a lot to people and they they don't want it to be sugar coated you know they want to see the facts they want to see the truth they want to see some really hard hitting opinion and so you're going into it and you're thinking, like, I just really can't do with him losing this because if they lose, then you know, there's going to have to be some serious questions. And you know, I put that to be also after the game. You know, I said to him that, you must, can you sum up how important that win is? Because I think you must have known like the rest of us that coming into this game, if you drop points, not lost, if you just drop points, if you draw on the game, there would have been some serious questions and worries about where the season's going because we're 10 games in now. That's more than a quarter of the season gone. A long, long way to go. But we're not talking the first two, three, four weeks now. You know, this is this is the season. Yeah, we're into it now. You know, we can't be making any more excuses. We're well into it. We have to start looking at patterns and the points on the board. And thankfully, at the moment, they're they're, they're on course for for forty points, which is of course sort of the magic benchmark for survival. They're right on the limit. I mean, it, it, again, if they hadn't won on on Sunday, then yeah, you're looking at what seven points if they'd lost eight points if they'd drawn from 10 games it just doesn't look good and it becomes a harder and harder sell for those of us that are still sort of banging the drum and saying everything's going to be okay and give it give it you know give it another 10 games or something you get to halfway and look at january and review things so it's a massive relief and i'm not saying one win changes the complexion of the season because they're still fourth bottom and it's still 10 points from 10 games so yeah, just, just a massive relief. You know, I think anybody that's, that's read things or even watched the game will know by now they did not play well. In Leeds, Leeds did not play brilliantly. It was not a vintage Bielsa performance. I still think we're some way short of, I mean, I think the best we've seen this season was possibly West Ham or Watford. Those games is probably where we felt most infused. So there's still lots of work on. The players will know that. Bielsa knows that. But thankfully, Norwich are just utterly dreadful. They are absolutely abysmal as a football team. And I do feel for their fans because through no fault of their own, they're probably going to watch their team get relegated again unless something absolutely drastic changes. So, yeah, I think there was there was some decent... I think Leeds had the best chance in the first half or went closest at least, of course, with Grant Hanley's clearance off the line. Mm. Never felt like that one was going to go in. You know, the pace of the shot and the ability, the speed of, of Hanley getting back on line, that always looked like... I mean, it would have been an almighty mess up for that to go in. But apart from that, I mean, I think Mateus Norman and, and Timmy Puky had some fairly decent half follies from the edge of the, the Norwich, uh, sort of the Leeds box that went just for, just a little bit wide. But it was just a really poor first half, wasn't it? It was an utterly dreadful game. And for the neutral, they must have switched off. I mean, they must have gone out for Sunday roast at halftime. I mean, it was it was a poor, poor game from two teams that started the season pretty badly. And then it all came to life, didn't it, across those five minutes um, between the three goals. Rafinha, which I'm sure we can talk about, just doing what we expect Rafinha to do now. I mean, it's just, that was the kind of magic that we needed to see and and the one player on the pitch that was capable of delivering it. I mean, the sec- I mean, I know the first touch was incredible, but that second touch when he just absolutely drops on the a, on a Bamadelli, you know, he shifts his weight from right to left and just leaves him on the deck completely. And that's then what obviously opens up the space for the dribble. Um, A classic corner routine, you know, leads again, conceding from a corner and... I mean the the dejection I felt when that went in. You just you have that high of the first goal, and then the equaliser goes in, and you're wondering which way that game's going to go at that point, and thinking mm-hmm. this is bad. This is really bad. If if Norwich kick on now with the ascendancy, this is not good. And then of course Tim Krull. you know, it's a decent it's a decent enough effort from Origa, but let's be honest, it should not be going in, should it? I mean, it, Tim Krull should have saved that. He misjudges it. I think Rafinha, At the time, I didn't really notice it, but having watched match of the day, I noticed that Rafinha. I mean that was tight. If he'd been, if he'd been maybe half a yard further forward, then I'm sure they'd have looked at that and said he's interfering with play. But mm. as it was, I think they maybe just about got away with it and got the benefit of the doubt. I think Leeds deserved the win, but I'm just saying they didn't play well. Nah, you're completely right. And and just touching on that, Baron,
0: do you think do you think now? I mean, expectation last year was was. It was unbelievable, wasn't it? There was people at the start of, of even this season saying that we're going to finish seventh, we're going to finish wherever, higher than ninth. Um, but tapering expectation a little bit. Do you think now it is just all about getting the results and and not looking at the the performances as as much? I know. Listen, I know performances normally breeds results, doesn't mm. it? But but do you think overall it is just the grind right for, for for
1: the rest of this season? I know what you mean. I can see the point. I know. I know the point you're trying to make. Um, it's still a long way to go. You know, we we still got 28 games, so I wouldn't say we're we're looking at grinding just yet uh, for the long term, at least. I mean, maybe in the short term we need to, but in the long term, I think we're all hoping that we're still going to hit those those high notes again. And it's mm-hmm. become going to become a bit e- maybe not easier, but we're going to see a run of decent results at some point. We hope. You know, we think we've got the quality in the team to deliver that. We certainly feel we've got the head coach to deliver that. And the the approach on the training field. But maybe for right now it is a bit of a grind, and you're just trying to try get through. But I don't know if Bielsa's system kind of is, is conducive to grinding. You know, it, it's such a such a fluid, brave, attacking, front foot, high risk system. I don't think you can grind. I mean, I would associate grinding with sort of more of like a flat back five. You know, ten men behind the ball with one striker up top, and you're basically just heading and kicking everything away and looking for for, for counters. So I don't think it's grinding in that sense. So I still think leads are going to be enterprising. They're still going to look to create that. The else would use the word protagonist, wouldn't he? You know, they're still going to try to be the protagonist in game and try to make things happen and and get mm-hmm. forward and try and attack. So I don't know if if grinding is the right word for it, but I know what you're getting at. Um, Sunday certainly felt like that way, especially once, once they got in front at two one. You could tell the team were very much like we cannot afford to let this go now. You know, we have got to fight and scrap for every single ball head it away, kick it away, clear it up the field if you have to, especially in the last five minutes. So I know what you're getting at. Hopefully long-term they won't need to grind and it will become a little bit more like last season, if not if not the same as last season. But um, yeah, I mean, they're not playing well. You can't paper – you paper over the cracks a little bit, but all I would say is just look at the table and just look at how tight it is. When I On Sunday night when I was looking at it, I mean, I'm amazed that they're closer to Brentford They are Burnley, that's how tight it is. It's two points up to 12th, which made me feel a lot better about life. Um, I know it's only one place to Burnley and five to Brentford, but I think you all know what I mean. You know, one if they beat Leicester on Sunday and a few of the other results go their way, they're going to be up to like lower mid table with one result. So I think it can quite quickly change. It's just the the frustrating thing is that, that they haven't been able to kind of get those back to back results. That's all they need. If they get two wins in a row. Everything's going to feel so much better. And hopefully that then the pressure then rises and the team maybe play with a bit more freedom.
0: Wasn't it great to see Stuart Dallas sort of go over to the fans? And it was, you know, there's only one Stuart Dallas. And I think it was a huge week for Stuart. It was great to see him being so vulnerable. And, and I thought he was one of the, the better performers at the weekend, Baron. And, and, and I just thought all encompassed it was, it was a good day for him and, and a good day for Leeds United.
1: Yeah, Dallas, what, what a week for him. We, um, Joe and I spoke about it a bit more last week, but that interview we did with BBC Leeds, I'd recommend anybody come and listen to it if they can. It's a really powerful interview and I think it deserves a lot of credit for being so honest and, and vulnerable, as you said, and tackling quite a, an obvious issue within football and that that needing the time to grieve and not feeling that there's this expectation you have to be at 100% every single base a footballer because you're just a human being like the rest of us. And... Yeah, three points is absolutely huge. And I'm pleased he had that moment with, with the away fans. I know he hasn't really got his own song, has he? So they sort of make <laughs> do with um, the standard. Stuart Dallas. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, I think the sentiment was there. And yeah, three points, you, you get the three points and run. I think that came across in, in some of the player interviews as well. And, and the players on social media, I think they accept they weren't at their best. But three points is all that matters. And it just gives something of a, of a, of a foundation and a platform now. I think if they play like that on Sunday, Leicester will, will win. So they do need to improve and there are now some really stern challenges ahead. I mean, even before we get to December, you know, Tottenham are on the horizon. We talked about this yesterday. Uh, Antonio Conte has obviously gone in there and Leeds, of course, are the first Premier League visitors to Spurs with Conte. And I don't know, I think there's pros and cons to that. I think there's pros in that it's going to be very early in his tenure and it'll be off the back of an international break where he would have had two weeks without his best players. And I think if you're trying to turn around a, a trawler like that and trying to get some good players playing a new system, it needs time on the, on the training field. Mm. So I think that's a benefit. But you know, I'm, I obviously completely accept that the biggest, the biggest con is that it's going to be their first home Premier League game. It's going to be an absolutely immense atmosphere for them. There's going to be a lot of optimism. And the players are going to be playing on adrenaline, aren't they? They're going to be playing for the new manager, trying to catch his eye. And, um, yeah, it's going to be tough for Leeds. But... Yeah, great, great win against Norwich, but but some tough, tough fixtures on, on the way now, even before we get to that December run.
0: The other night as well, I think it was last night actually, from when we we're recording. Uh, we saw Leeds under 21s lose out to Salford. Um, but once again, there was a standout moment, wasn't the Baron? Uh, I think it was Lewis Bate <laughs> with that. Quite incredible um, goal from his own half. Uh, I think it was three touches. A lovely, delicate chip uh, to beat the goalkeeper. He's becoming quite the highlight reel, isn't he?
1: To have that composure to do that finish like after having run the length, I I would need to sit down after doing that. I mean, (laughs) you'd be so tired and under pressure from the defender behind you with the goalkeeper in front of you to then have the, the delicacy in your touch to kind of lift it over the keeper like that. And then to actually run back as well. He he ran all that way and then got the ball ball after scoring and ran straight back, which I'm sure would have impressed impressed Marcelo. But yeah, he's coming on, isn't he? I think there's obviously been been some reasons why he's not sort of featured just yet. I mean, I think a lot of his teammates have had that exposure now. I know he's only in his first season and many of others are into their second season with the 23s. But yeah, I think he's certainly going to go on for the long-term future, isn't he?
0: Yeah is that is that what you think then Baron? you think that it's just because it's a uh, you know a two year thing we've seen it with all of, a lot of other players um, obviously there's a lot of fans at this moment in time and they probably want us to speak about it in in terms of Lewis Bate and and Leeds sort of missing that 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 sort of midfield of, of why he's not getting in and you know why he's not getting on the bench and all this sort of stuff it maybe that's that's the reason
1: as you alluded to just then It could well be I think Certainly, you look at it, and we, we all know they're lacking a central midfielder. And you kind of look at it, and from face value, you think, Why is Luis Plate not getting in there? You know, if, mm. if you need the center mid, why is he not even making it onto the bench? But you know, Bielsa's got his reasons. And obviously, we're not privy to what goes on in the training field and what he's seen from him. It may well be a, a two year development thing, and he just needs to understand the tactics a bit more. I think we all know that there is such a high benchmark for players needing to understand the system before Bielsa's ready to play them. I think that's why Daniel James is such a such an exception to the rule, although Bielsa has said that centre-backs and wingers can generally come into his system quite easily. Hmm. Um, so it may or be that he just doesn't quite know the system well enough yet. And he, well, you know he is quite small, he is quite slight, doesn't quite have that sort of strength of, of Joe Gallagher perhaps. And I mean, we're talking about we're talking about Joe Gallagher for 18 months, he's only just got into the team. I mean, that's how long he's had to wait. I mean, all of last season he was doing what he's doing this season with the 23s and, and he had to wait. Hmm. So it's a waiting game, and I'm sure there's probably a bit of a character test behind that as well. I mean, Belton probably wants to see the hunger and the, the desire and the the work ethic of an under twenty three player and seeing them sort of sustain that over a long period before he gives them the 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 privilege of playing for the first team. Maybe he wants to just to see Lewis Bate, how he responds to this adversity and this this will long wait to to, to break through.
0: Mm, definitely. Um shall we touch on Leicester City then? Um, <laughs> Leeds with another huge game at the weekend. Uh, we have Leicester City writer Jordan Blackwell coming on later in the show, but Baron, I want to get your thoughts on, on on Leeds facing Leicester City. Bit of a bit of a, an indifferent start from Leicester. Um, to be honest with you, it's uh, it's been a bit of a strange one, obviously with the weekend result against Arsenal. Um, I, I still think they played quite well in that game, but beating Brentford, beating Manchester United recently as well. You know, Leeds went there last season, won three uh, one, an absolutely unbelievable victory. I would actually say, in terms of performance, that was my favourite of the season. And yeah. I, I know people were talking about Man City, but I felt you know that was a bit of a backs to the wall, different yeah. sort of performance. But I loved the Leicester performance. Um, as, in terms of goals as well, in that game, Baron, the goals were fantastic from Leeds United. But um, obviously, they beat us at home four um, one. What sort of game are you expecting? Obviously, Jamie Vardy will be back for this one. I think there was a couple missing for that that uh, the, the, the uh, occasion at the King Power as well. What sort of game are you expecting, mate?
1: Yeah, I agree with you on last season. I think the the Leicester away was certainly one of my favourite performances. They were just absolutely brilliant that day. I mean, it felt like that that was possibly was the pinnacle in terms of an all round team performance. You know, like you say, without any any red cards or playing the Bielsa way and just basically outdoing one of the best teams in the league um so I'd agree with I think Leicester was probably one of my favorites as well but yeah I mean a a bit like the story last season you know ups and downs wasn't it which is why they finished mid-table you know they go and batter Leicester away but then you know Leicester at at Ellen Road you know Leeds were thoroughly outplayed that day and and Leicester were very savvy very experienced they just knew how to play the Leeds game didn't they you know Mm. they were a bit like um Wolves and a bit like West Ham very very solid at the back were happy to to soak up Leeds pressure and we just hit them on the break. And we're just so clever with the way they did it. I mean, if you remember the last season, time and time again at Road, the way Tielemans, Barnes and Vardy were just all, they were just so fluid and just picking leads off on the break with the amount of space they had down the channels. So it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough on Sunday. And like I say, Leicester coming into the season, I think expectations were very, very high. Of course, another brilliant season under Brendan Rodgers last season, falling short of the Champions League again, agonisingly. But yeah, didn't didn't start particularly well, just looking at their results, you know, battered away at West Ham, which isn't looking too bad a result now. <laughs> losing at home to City to be expected, losing away at Brighton. Again, Brighton have started well, but Leicester would have expected better that day. But then drawing at home to Burnley, drawing away at Palace, they weren't good results for Leicester. But then we've seen signs of life, you know, beating Man United heavily, beating Brentford away. And we know Brentford are one of the surprise packages of the season. And then then again, showing their indifference on uh, on the weekend with, yeah. with a loss to Arsenal, who, despite being in great form, still haven't particularly impressed me. Um, but yeah, on paper, they of course are going to be the favourites coming to to a fourth bottom lead side at Ellen Road. But we know what the home crowd can do. We've seen what they did against Wolves and, and the impact they can have. I think it'll probably f- follow a very similar pattern to last season.
0: Yeah, like you said, it's been it's been an indifferent start for for Leicester. But I, I I feel, Baron, what you, you were speaking just there about the Wolves game and it's interesting. I'll throw West Ham and Everton in there. In in terms of, of the mid bracket sides, you know, we're not talking about the Liverpools and the Man United's and the Man City, the Chelsea, et cetera. But the mid bracket sides sides um, at Ellen Road we've done all right against. And it seems like even when we're absolutely battered with injuries, you know, you look at the Wolves game, probably a lot of Leeds fans expected Leeds to lose that one. West Ham, we all expected probably a bit of a a hide in there as well with, with the injuries out, you know, Charlie Cresswell came in for that game, did, did a remarkable job. Leeds, Leeds sort of stood up to it a little bit. And obviously Everton earlier on in the season, who, who, who are now doing, doing pretty well. And am I being a little bit too optimistic by thinking that Leeds United, um, could, could definitely get something out of this.
1: I think <laughs> they can. Yeah, I think they definitely can. I think with Bielsa's Leeds, they've always got a puncher's chance because the way they play, they always give themselves the chance to win. As mm. we mentioned earlier in the podcast, Leeds don't go into a game looking to to keep a clean sheet or looking to kind of restrict the opposition to, to long-range shots. They don't look to put men behind the ball and look for a counter-attack. They go into a game looking to win every game and give themselves the chance to win a game by committing men forward. And mm. the trouble is this year, they... they I mean, I was looking at the stats earlier. Only Liverpool and City have had a higher average possession than Leeds this year. I mean, that's Leeds are still got the third highest possession percentage in the entire division they their fourth bottom. So there's no problems with keeping the ball. They still keep the ball, but as we've seen, they're just not either creating the chances or putting the chances away in the final third with all that possession. And unfortunately, when they do get picked off and they do lose the ball, these teams have got the quality to put them to the sword and punish them. And unfortunately, that's, the, that's Leicester's game. I mean, we, we know what Vardy can do. We've watched him do it for years and years now. I mean, he's getting in well into his 30s, into his mid-30s even. He's not slowing down. He's had another fantastic start to the season. He's a, he's a supreme athlete and he's not lost his pace. And then you know, you've got the weapons of Madison and Telemans from deep. You've got Barnes, who's a, a roaming figure. And then you've got the wing-backs who are going to look to press on and get behind um, whichever system leads play but like you say it looks like a three four one two with Madison just behind Nacho and yeah. Vardy so again it could well be the back three system. Um I mean I think I think back to the Wolves game and, and like you say Wolves played sort of a three four three didn't they and Leeds sort of marked them up with a four four two if you remember. You know mm-hmm. played as a as a proper center mid without Phillips in there. So Maybe having Phillips will will keep it as a 3-3-1-3 three, three, three because he offers that protection. But there's, I wouldn't rule out a 4-4-2 four, four, if they are feeling a little bit adventurous. But, um, yeah, uh, I would love to say, I think that, that yeah, because it's a mid-bracket side, they've got a better chance. But I think Leicester are right up there, aren't they? I mean, on their day, they're they're the best of the rest, aren't they, outside the top four?
0: Baron, um, I'm going to ask you for a score prediction, mate, as always. <laughs> oh, you're killing me. Um <laughs> It's always the same reaction every week, isn't it? It's like, oh, yeah, really you stay... coming to this bit.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, they were really, they were not good against Norwich, were they? No. Nah. And as I say, I think unless he risks them and he takes what he would consider a risk, I can't see Bamford or Railing starting. I think they're going to be on the bench at best, at, at best. Mm-hmm. So I think we're pretty much going with what we had. So. And Leicester are very good. I've got a soft spot for how good Leicester are. I think on their day, as a neutral, they're, they're a team I like watching. I do like the way they play football, and I do like some of their players. And I think because they are quite often the underdog, aren't they? And hmm. they don't necessarily sort of buy their way to titles like a few of the other big teams. So all that being said, I'm going to go
0: 2-2. Oh, okay. I'd say like that.
1: Which I think would all take in a heartbeat. I think I am being optimistic, but just I think... I'm hoping that Ellen Road can do what it did in the Wolves game.
0: Yeah, definitely. Def- Wolves definitely shrank in that game as well when the, the Ellen Road crowd started going. No ambition, the did they?
1: Wolves, Wolves showed no ambition in that game. They, no. they scuffed the goal in and basically put all the men behind the ball and and they did defend really well. They a very good defensive side, Wolves, very hard to break down, but in the end they couldn't deal with Joffy, could they? <laughs>
0: Yeah, and he's he's obviously the weapon at the minute, so we'll we'll have to wait and see. I'll go with a, I'll go with the one-one. I don't know. I've got a funny feeling about this one, and and maybe when you know when we turn around and look at these sort of three games, it's a, a draw against a, a Wolf side who won four out of five, beating Norwich, which was needed, and then potentially getting a point against Leicester.
1: I mean, it wouldn't be a bad return. Well, yeah, in three I mean, games, people but... people don't like looking at the form table because I know it can mask over the it makes <laughs> it over the cracks because they've had a good little run, haven't they? I mean, they yeah, have had yeah, some pretty yeah. favourable fixtures. Mm. But yeah, the eighth in the form table, one defeat in the last four. If you are looking for, if you're looking for any sort of senseless reason <laughs> for optimism, one defeat in four, two wins in the last four. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. There's, there's, there's something there at least. I mean, they're not, <laughs> they're not playing well, but they're not getting battered, are they? I mean, we're looking at what they beat Norwich by a goal, they drew with Wolves, they lost at Southampton by a goal, beat Watford by a goal. It's all by the odd goal, isn't it? Apart from the Liverpool and the Man United games, it's all mm. by an odd goal.
0: Guys, thank you so much for tuning in to the blue, white, and yellow, as always. We're going to head over to the opposition preview now with Leicestershire Live's very own reporter, Jordan Blackwell. I hope you enjoy. With regards to Leicester City, there's been sort of significant improvements, in my opinion, since we last played. You know, the addition of Patson um, Adamola Luckman. It seems like uh coming into this game Leicester have a lot of options everywhere Jordan and it's quite frightening to uh, think of really.
2: Yeah, I, certainly the the squad is the best it's ever been. Um I think in terms certainly in terms of attacking options the uh, you know these days I think most teams seem to play with one striker and you don't often get you don't often get teams where there are there's more than one striker in form. Um, but Leicester somehow have three informed strikers. Uh, Vardy is second-top scorer in the league uh, behind Mo Salah. and uh, Acho makes a difference every time he plays. Obviously, he had that terrific run at the end of last season where, I think, at the start of February, he only scored three goals. By the end of the season, he'd scored 19 um, he, uh, you know, he's been setting up goals as well, particularly this season. His, his, his passing is an underrated part of his game. Then they've got Patson Daka, who can come off the bench, and you know, it was only uh, a week or so ago um, uh, that he scored four goals in a game in Europe. So the, the the striking talent they have is is extremely good for certainly for a team of Leicester's size. Um, but yes, they've got a lot of players around them. Um, perhaps. Perhaps players that aren't quite in the best form, James Madison is, is getting there, but not quite there. Um, Harvey Barnes, terrific last season. If he'd not got injured, um, he would have been definitely worth a place in England's uh, European Championship squad. Uh, he was in that good form, but then obviously sort of got a knee injury that left kept him out for the, for the remainder of the season. Um He's he's not quite found those heights again yet, but there there's been a few promising signs. Adamola luckman they brought in. Uh very tricky player, very good player, perhaps better than a lot of people might have expected. Obviously played in a in a relegated Fulham team last season. Um but he's he's looked bright when he's played. He's he, he offers something he offers something a bit different for Leicester in terms of his uh the way he runs with the ball. Um he's quite you know he's, he's very good in tight areas, but it can also dribble away from players. Uh, so, yeah, so lots of attacking talent. I think that's the key thing. The defence, it's, it's been a similar situation at Leicester. The the combinations, they've had to keep changing the combinations. Um, the, you know, I think you may have, well, Leeds fans may have seen the injury that Wesley Fafana suffered in the Leicester's final pre-season game, that horror leg break. It really did throw Leicester's season off course because they, you know, before it even started, because Johnny Evans has kind of been battling a long term foot injury. So the plan was always, well, let's stick with Fafana and Soyuncu as a as a centre back pairing. And, and that was, they played throughout pre You know, normally in pre season, you're kind of chopping and changing and experimenting. Leicester didn't do any of that. They were very clear this is our centre back partnership. Let's play them in every game together so they can get used to each other. And then in the second half of the final pre season game, one of them breaks their legs. So, that's not helped Leicester. Um, Johnny Evans is now fit, which is a big help. He's made a different... The, defense, the defensive record in terms of goals conceded isn't, hasn't improved. They're still one of the worst in the league, but they generally do look a little bit more organised. Um, but I think the key thing, and the, the, the probably a disappointing thing for Leeds, is that there's not been a single game this season that Evans and Ndidi have started together. Um, but that the, that could be the first one on Sunday, uh, and I do think the two of them together, no matter what the the rest of the makeup of Leicester's defense is, if you've got Evans as one of the centre backs and indeed he's sitting in front of them, I think it makes a, a huge difference to to the quality of Leicester's defending.
0: Yeah, uh, I think so. As you were just talking about there, there's options everywhere. But are you, when you talk about strengths, you've you've listed so many. I think, and I think from an outside perspective. Uh, as a neutral, we can all appreciate where well, Leicester are very, very strong. But where where do you think Leeds could get at them, Jordan? Is it just is it just the defence?
2: Yeah, I think if the um, the the best way to get at Leicester is to to press them high. The, if the if the back if they play with the back three that they've been playing with recently, um, and that back three is the same uh, group of three, so it'll be it's been. To, Johnny Evans in the middle with Daniel Amate and Charles Soyuncu as the, the sort of the two wider players in the back three. Um, Amate and Soyuncu aren't as comfortable when being pressed high. Um, Soyuncu was when he first came into the team, but he seems to have lost his way a little bit. Amate's never really been comfortable. He's kind of the, the, the real backup centre-back that Leicester don't intend to use that often, obviously. Fafana was... Fit, he would be playing. Maybe James Justin would be filling in there if he was fit. Vestergaard has come in, but is really only going to play where Evans plays because he's not mobile enough to play in one of the wider, wider positions in the back three. So I think if they, if Leeds were to press Amate and Su Yunchu high, uh, that could put Leicester under pressure. Leicester, the one of the big disappointments for Leicester this season has been the kind of the speed at which they have played, and I think. The, the either the midfield and the wing backs haven't been good enough in terms of offering the centre-backs balls out of the defence um, and so I think that's why they tend to sort of dilly-dally on the on the ball a little bit so I think they're, they're the players to, to get at I think in terms of Leeds trying to stop Leicester's attack I think if they do get it into good positions with with the right players on the ball They may struggle. I mean, Yuri Tielemans is, as far as I'm concerned, one of the best players in the league. Uh, He's just very good at everything. But he will... I don't think there's any way Leeds can stop him um, playing the balls through. Maybe if if Madison plays, maybe shut down Madison. Um, He's not... Madison's very good on the ball, but in terms of his movement and picking up pockets, uh, he's he's not the best at, at, at... he can be marked out of the game. So last weekend against Arsenal, Thomas Partey basically shut him down. Um, when he got on the when the few times Madison got on the ball, he did look good and he won free kicks and things like that. Um, but if you're if you're closing him down and restricting the options that Tielemans has to pass to, then then that, that makes a difference as well. So yes, I'd say pressing the centre backs and also stopping, limiting the options that Tielemans has to pass to.
0: Okay, great to hear, um, Jordan. Uh, I'm going to ask you for a score prediction, mate. Please. I will say uh, Leicester have uh, Leicester have had a fair few high-scoring games this season, so I will say 2-2. Well, thank you for that, Jordan, and thank you, everybody, for listening to the Blue, White and Yellow. Go check out our content pre-Leicester and post-Leicester on leeds-live.co.uk. Check out all of our socials, and, of course, guys, join us at the same time next week. We'll see you in a bit. Cheers.